Welcome back to another episode of Big Swinging Stocks. It's a fresh financial year and we're hot off the back of weeks of earnings reportings and not so great earnings outlooks for a lot of companies. When the tea is hot, the conspiracies are pretty piping and we're an investing pod. So I've invited my producer back to talk all things tin hat in finance. Robert, welcome back to the pod. Thank you for having me, slash for me having me, for us having me. And I also like that the episodes that I'm reserved to speak on are the ones that are about to have yeah. conspiracies. So thank you. Thank you for the that. People have spoken, Rob. You mm-hmm. were delighted to come back. So here we are. Yes, this is not personal financial advice, but here is my conspiracies. So do you believe in any wild theories? Look, my conspiracies are not finance-related at all, but I do have to admit that I did watch that Graham Hancock series on ancient civilizations, and I think we've spoken about this. I did start to wonder weird things like, did aliens build the pyramids? Why are the pyramids exactly aligned with Orion's belt, and why are their coordinates the same number as the speed of light in meters per second? Why is their base and height the same ratio to the size of the Earth so that if you scaled it up, the face of the pyramid would fit across the equator and then the tip would fit into the North Pole. I say this to, oh to say that there are a lot of wackadoodle conspiracy theories, as you say, but I've got no delusions of my own mental fortitude and I don't think our listeners should either. The reason that I don't listen to Joe Rogan isn't because I disagree wholeheartedly with this 10% of really wildly out-of-pocket podcast that he does. It's just that If you say things that are salacious, people start to believe them. Mm. And we're going to go into a few salacious theories on BlackRock today. And please do not believe them any more than you believe a Joe Rogan episode where he speaks about men being so strong that they can take a bullet to the head (laughs) because they have worked out (laughs) enough. And that is a real topic that he has covered, by the way. Maybe that's really the um, the takeaway message from this podcast is... (laughs) Don't listen to the finances, yeah. but really don't listen to Joe yeah. Rogan. You are not stronger than iron and so take our funny. do not come away from us covering God. a BlackRock conspiracy by believing in a BlackRock conspiracy. <laughs> Look, I think there's lots of really wild theories. I mean, proliferation, you know, everyone's on the internet, which means that everyone's like intrusive thoughts are now a Twitter thread, right? The things that you would yeah. normally have just said to yourself at like 3am, like, mm, are people actually lizards in skin suits is now something that we tweet about and then someone else reads it and goes, you know what? I have always thought that I'm a lizard in a skin suit. But I think, especially in the finance space, I think fuel to the conspiracy fire can really be misunderstanding of something that's quite complex and not really well taught in school. And that's where I think conspiracy theories can run rife because- Rob is not an architect and Rob is not a mathematician. So the -hmm. fact that it's completely possible that the coordinates are complete chance, Robert. Right. But they make for excellent IG reels. That's the definition of chance. Excellent IG reels that are sent around (laughs) by me and my one other friend. Yeah, with like doomsday music. You make a good point about the like finance proliferating this especially well. There's this article by New York Times in 2021, January Mm -hmm. 2021, called Everything's a Joke Until It's Not. And two guesses as to what stock they're talking about in terms of memification in 2021, January. Oh, AMC, GameStop. 
GameStop, you know, like speaking about how quickly within finance people can take this joke or like not quite a conspiracy theory, but just really outlandish behavior and run with it. And, and like we're in the middle of 2023 and GME is still in the top 100 most held stocks mm. by self-wealth mm. customers. There are still people that were left holding on. with that, holding that bag at the end. You've got a theory about NFTs, the last person holding the bag. Is it like the greatest It's the idiot? greater fool theory. Yep. The greater fool mm. theory. Someone has to be left yeah. holding that bag at the end of this conspiracy theory. And our data will be no different to that of the comsecs or the banks. Yeah. Like there will be, there are people at the end that ended up holding GameStop for yeah. no reason. No, so we'll these it. things can affect your finances. Do not invest out of BlackRock. Yeah, I because think of a headline. The GameStop debacle. It was all about individual investors on Reddit trying to take back power, and they did manage to effectively rally in such a way that they pressed institutional investors to their limit who had all been short on that stock. And then they, you know, spent a lot of money having to buy back those positions, right, when the price just skyrocketed. And I kind of love that, though, from a, like, I kind of love that from an activist investor perspective because I don't think the fundamentals were there in GameStop. Like, it's it was... No, they were nothing, right? There was no fundamental. It was the opposite of fundamental. The fundamental was sticking it to institutional finance companies. And I liked that from a perspective of reminding institutional investors that at the end of the day, that's where the money is. And... It's some almost like proof of democracy in some way. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I would have liked it to happen for, you know, like... (laughs) A stock that was underpriced and valuable, <laughs> worthy, but maybe an ESG stock. You know, at the end of the day, it worked really well. But let's talk about the BlackRock conspiracy because we were talking about this earlier this week, and we were both like, "What?" So, do you want to give everyone like a really quick explainer, a memeified explainer of the theory or the conspiracy? I want to start with maybe the recent Bitcoin aspect, mm-hmm. and then go to the overview. Of that theory, and then I want you to fill in any blanks okay. because I know that there will be some of them. No, you can do so, a fabulous job, Rob. Recently, BlackRock has decided that they want to get into Bitcoin. Mm-hmm. So they've applied to the US Securities and Exchange Commission to launch an exchange traded fund, and they're going to buy Bitcoin and track its price for the funds, unit holders, just a Bitcoin mm-hmm. ETF. Nothing too salacious there. But the thing is that BlackRock has always been against. Bitcoin and saying that it wasn't the same Warren Buffett approach. So it's got no underlying value, so they weren't going to buy it. And now that they actually have said that they are going to make an ETF based around it, in the last week, the AFR is reporting that the stock, the Bitcoin price, sorry, has gone up 26%, which is leading people to say that BlackRock is manipulating the market price and doing what Elon maybe does with Dogecoin and doing headlines to shoot the price up Mm. ahead of them creating a financial product that will benefit from it. Mm. Beyond that, there is the aspect that BlackRock is so large, BlackRock and Vanguard, they are so large that they control the world. The root in this is that they are the largest shareholders, second, third largest shareholders and some of the world's biggest companies. So if you look at Apple, they have 1 billion Apple shares 
and that totals 170 billion USD. They've got 537 million Microsoft shares. They've got over 600 million Amazon shares. And the list goes on from NVIDIA to Google, Tesla, Meta, Berkshire Hathaway, all of the largest companies in the world, the likes of BlackRock, and then these super huge fund managers are pretty much the largest owners. And this is something that I think it was episode one or two that we spoke to Balaji Gopal from Vanguard about. He was saying that they had to be very careful in their rebalancing sheet because they are such large stakeholders, such large share owners Mm. in these large companies. And people have taken that line of thought to apply it to the exact same Rothschild line of thought that the banking is all controlled by this one shadow region of humans and that the investment world is all controlled by the shadow region of humans and that there is really only a few people pulling the strings at the top mm. and that black rock is one of them mm. what have i missed that's a pretty good summary i think i would just add for anyone who maybe isn't as deep or hasn't put on the tinfoil hat as hard as we have because we went digging right we went digging to all parts of the internet we went to blogs folks. Mm. We went mm. looking. <laughs> we wanted to see what these people were saying. This is like beyond your Reddit conspiracy theory thread. These are people on like 2002 blogs that are still in web 1.0 script. So just know that we did some what I would call soft pseudo-investigative journalism <laughs> in this episode. Yep. Give me my Pulitzer. I definitely lost some brain cells reading this content. But look, BlackRock's a fund manager. For anyone that's not aware. And they're in the US, but they operate globally. And as Rob said, they've got some huge shareholdings in these positions. But it's like to sort of ladder it all up, they manage $8.7 trillion in assets. Assets under management is what the sort of official terminology is. And they're one of the three index fund managers. So just so that everyone can contextualize, BlackRock is a vanguard. And is a state street. Same concept. If any of you own iShares ETFs, perhaps, they're a subsidiary of BlackRock. I might interject there was just one mm. like the context around there. So they've got $8.7 trillion assets under management, right? Yeah. But Australia, our entire country's GDP, say for 2021, was $1.5 trillion. So they are they own us eight times. leagues, 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 and leagues above what our <laughs> entire go. country is doing. Why you know? bother operating a shadow economy? Just purchase Australia. Just buy Just us. Buy, buy a country. Right? <laughs> you could. So obviously, as Rob said, they like control the world. That's the theory. The thing is, though, if there's anyone here that is the shadowy figure controlling the assets, it's actually anyone invested in anything owned by iShares, anything operated by Vanguard. Like, I think the misconception with this conspiracy theory comes from two things. I think people are inherently wary about things that they can't feel and touch, which is why you don't see as many, like, property conspiracy theories. Like, where's the property conspiracy theory in Australia, right? That's definitely that's one i believe in so you can't see the price <laughs> can't see the price there's no shadowy figure controlling the price and yet there's plenty of policies propping up our housing market but anyway the blackrock is a fund manager right so consider them like a school principal right they're there to control the schoolyard they build the curriculum 
you get to attend the classes, but mm -hmm. you own the underlying investment. They are simply a trustee, they're a custodian for that investment. And the thing that I think is sometimes really difficult for people to swallow is that if you're not familiar with the finance world, if you're not familiar with this kind of terminology, what does trustee mean to you? It means nothing. It means less than nothing. And given the volatility often of the stock market, as opposed to other assets, which don't have a spot price, like housing, like a business, it's really easy to believe that the stock market is gamified and that a few people control it. And therefore, you know, you shouldn't buy into it and you don't understand it, but it's okay that you don't understand it because buying into it is a fool's errand. And I think that a lot of the time, conspiracy theories are, and this is getting very philosophical, but- Go on, I'm here for it. People all operate on the assumption that they are clever. Everyone is the main character of their own story. Mm -hmm. And conspiracy theories flourish in areas that are complicated, right? Like conspiracy theories about the ocean, alien technology, the stock market are all quite complex concepts for the layperson. And conspiracy theories about 9-11 and the, the blast and people are like amateur skyscraper bomb experts I think that still beams. Uh, yeah, you know, still beams melting. Like, you know, it all flourishes in an area where the topic is not that cut and dry. Like, there's no banana conspiracy theories, right? Like, things that are just sort of on their face, able to be understood, harder for conspiracy theories to flourish. But in the finance world, these are complex products like shorting a stock, options, CFDs. They're things that are, you know, we've created all of these ridiculous concepts to make money. And a lot of the time, they're not really easily understood by someone that's not in the industry. And I think that is exactly where that's like fertile ground for conspiracy theories because no one wants to feel dumb. And I think conspiracy theories give people who might feel insecure about a topic the ability to go, no, I'm smarter than all of you. And I think it comes from a sense of hubris. Okay, I'll, I'll give credence to that theory. I think it also just speaks to, and just to condense what you're saying, it feels like the the most compelling argument wins, regardless of, of whether it is mm. correct. And the most compelling argument is the one that it's easiest for the most people to understand. Like, by, by default, the most popular argument, yeah. the one that the populace agrees to, because the populace has one level of understanding about the stock market, and that is that... A lot of money changes hands and that some shady deals have been done in the past. And I'll take those two things to be like money changing hands equals shady deals. Large amounts of money changing hands means they must be even shadier, mm. which means that the largest BlackRock, Vanguard, I believe oh, those could be shadow banks <laughs> shadow and banks. controlling controlling the world. There are, but it goes, it goes beyond some of the blogs and just those Reddit threads, et cetera. And look, government and legislation can also sometimes be awry because that is a political move in many parts. Mm. But just within the, the states, there has been a couple of instances in I think like 2020 and 2021 when the US representatives and like there's a US senator, I think, mm. suggested that BlackRock needs to be regulated and that there is a bill proposed in the US, a US House bill aimed to restrain BlackRock. 
and so other so-called shadow banks, as my Wikipedia information says. Wow. But he really these, these, types of, these types of things here, yeah, I think, give people a little bit, they, they fuel the delusion, I believe, that yeah. BlackRock and some of these other ones. powerful, right, Rob? Like, it's not as if... So confirmation bias is real. Like, you're going to collect information that supports the belief. So a very a prominent politician introducing a New World Order bill is fuel to the fire. But it's not as if there aren't examples, real examples, of companies that do control. Exactly. This is the thing, right? Like, Luxottica and De Beers are two phenomenal examples of what people think BlackRock is doing, but these two companies are actually doing it. Luxottica is if you own pretty much any pair of eyewear, be it sunglasses or just reading glasses, most, if not all, like 95% of the market is owned by Luxottica. And I mean the Prada, the Louis Vuitton, the Gucci, I think Ray-Ban as well now. Like most Mm -hmm. of the big brands are owned by Luxottica and they keep the prices high and they make a lot of money doing it. Okay, but something I think we do need to speak about in terms of BlackRock is some of the positives and some of the issues with those positives. If you Google their CEO at the moment, Mm -hmm. Larry Sink, all you will find is criticism to their ESG operations. And this is something that the podcast and self-wealth in particular are very passionate about in terms of, say, us having the ESG ratings on platforms and us trying to tell the investors about other ways that they can assess a company's fundamentals and ESG being one of those themes that we do think will prevail into the next couple of decades, next hundred years, etc. And something that, as Kate Howitt says, will be a major driver of the economy. BlackRock are also a huge driver in terms of ESG investment. I think just in, a, in Australia, they've got five or six or so different funds. They've got the, the through iShares as well, the iShares core MSCI. They've got the World X Australia, the ESG. They've got hedged versions. They've got high growth. They've got dividend opportunities for the ESG. And through that, they are actually driving large amounts of investment into ESG. So you can say what you want about, say, a large company controlling the, the world, in theory. We don't believe they do. But BlackRock, any instance of them trying to make a ETF around ESG funds these companies that would otherwise not be as funded. So yeah. in 2021, their sustainable assets doubled to over 509 billion USD. Mm. So they are a huge lever in, in terms of what is should be funding the actual New world order, yeah, and which think, is us having a cleaner planet. Yeah, and the reality is that just because they don't own the underlying assets doesn't mean that they don't have a significant amount of influence. And we've talked about this with mm. you know fund managers before, that they take consumer preferences into account and they're in the boardrooms with a lot of these company C-suite executives. And as part of that, 
they're having those conversations around this is the stuff that's important to our investors and therefore it's important to you. And we've seen the effects of that because AGL was successfully taken over, now private, but was still an example of ESG being at the forefront. We've also seen companies restructure, like Tabcorp, the Woolworths Group has restructured as well and put their alcohol holdings into a different segment. And as part of that, they've been able, you know, as as the two new entities, I think one's Endeavour Group and one's Woolworths, to get onto ESG index funds because they've removed the holdings that would have otherwise precluded them from entry. So we can't say that they're not having a positive influence. I completely agree with you, Rob. I think the influence is just often misunderstood. And Mm -hmm. the reality is that it's a lot less ludicrously capacious than the media would like. Capacious. Very good. Love that word. If we, are, if we are doing an episode where we just kind of go down rabbit holes for a sec, do you, and related to ESG and large companies, mm. are you familiar with the carbon footprint conspiracy? Oh, my God, I'm not. Tell me. That's, that's tell me, actually, tell me, tell me. That is actually true. Oh, oh um, no. So there, there is a, as, as you've spoken about, actually, the ESG is, or sorry, not ESG, but the carbon footprint and the, the carbon yes. abatement by a person has no, it, it just can't can't hold a, a candle to anything that a company can do, yeah. right? But there is this the belief that we as people need to do everything that we can about our carbon footprint and everything that we can to minimize it, whereas some of these companies themselves might go and what have wanton disregard for yeah. Yeah. What, what is happening. The reason that we have carbon footprint in just vernacular is an advertising campaign by, by oil Big company. Oil. <gasps> yeah. So it's it's BP actually. So in in, in two thousand and five, after the BP oil spill, they were having a PR crisis, right? Saying people there were look, everyone knows of the oil spill. It was about possibly the worst thing that could happen for a brand that was trying to make some ESG pivot. But then they went to their agency, um, Ogilvy which any marketers or advertisers in the world will know is just being one of the world's greats, one of the, the, some of the greatest thinkers behind a lot of our marketing and advertising. One of the most memorable ads Ogilvy were behind, yeah. Yeah, and Ogilvy came up with this carbon footprint and the personalised approach to carbon footprint. So if they made a carbon footprint personalised and made them calculate their individual effect and carbon output, that would guilt people more into, into seeing that they themselves were not the good actors and that if they themselves were not the good actors, that they couldn't criticise big companies like BP, etc. And that is exactly what they did in 2005. They brought that term into just the, the public conscience. It had been around before but never used on like an individual basis. So they brought it in. They BP started putting these calculators out so everybody could calculate their own effects and then see that, hey, we're not good either so we can't then hate on bp or that's the most incredible form of deflection and way to just derail everyone because now i mean like what 18 years later we're all squabbling about who's a better earth citizen oh i don't recycle therefore you're terrible and therefore you hate the planet it's like well actually that is an advertising campaign from bp that is so icky 
but how good? You know, that's 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 very effective in See, terms of effectiveness you campaigns. You don't they, need they the BlackRock conspiracy. There's plenty of truths out there. <laughs> There's plenty of shitty exactly. truths. Well, look, I think the the part of this conversation that really sticks out to me, if we're going to wrap, is just how important critical thought is. I mean, I, I, I don't have anything against the existence of conspiracy theories. Like, I think people should always question what they're told. But I think when we chalk up a rumour or a misunderstanding as truth and then we hold things that are factually correct and things that are essentially a vibe up next to each other and go, these two things are equal, I have a problem with that. It's like when the news wants to be seen as impartial. So they'll get a scientist and then a blogger and be like, discuss, as if the two of them had equal weight in the conversation. Mm -hmm. And that is what I find very challenging about conspiracy theories is we've elevated elevated them to the point of being assessed as equally weighted to facts. And the thing is, that's not the case. They shouldn't be given that much power because we give them, we elevate them to the status of being a fact when a lot of the time they are wholly unsubstantiated. Takes us back to the Joe Rogan approach where the biggest platform often spews ideas that are given that credence because they're on such a large, they're on such a large platform. TikTok folks, so that you don't give many views. That's my recommendation. (laughs) I think the uh, somewhat underlying theme that this podcast is going to is trying to look. We're here to educate people on the stock market and on investing, and part of that is to show people some of those misconceptions that have have had. Like, look, people's parents might tell you that the stock market is gambling, etc. We are here to disprove that with as many facts as possible. People may have myriad multitude of other arguments as to why things in the stock market are evil or against. And I think that's why we have people like Kate Howlett on who can speak mm. to the benefits in terms of mining. Yeah. But also or equally weighted saying that there are different versions of coal. You need to know your stoking from your metallurgic, et cetera, yeah. and where to invest because there are good ways and bad ways. And there are some themes thematics that will persevere one thing that i think you you and i and self wealth and everyone else is big on is the esg theme going going forward blackrock themselves are doing wonders there a lot of criticism for them as any big company will have whether their fund really has a relation to tobacco or other things like that that's always going to be there but I think what we're going to aim to do Mm -hmm. in the future is try and bring you some more of these misconceptions to give you more proof points as to why as to why investing in the stock market and these things are not actually as bad as your crazy uncle at the barbecue or have you believe. With all the information you need to debate your crazy uncle. So, folks, if you liked this episode, please let us know. Rob and I are millennials, so we're painfully in need of external validation. So, pop through to the Self Wealth social media channels, make sure to follow us as well. And send us a DM and let us know which episodes you like and don't like and make sure you also follow the podcast and leave a review because we like to know that this is fun for you and that you're enjoying them. And I know a couple of you messaged me on Instagram 
at Broke Girl Wealth as well and just know that we always appreciate the support and we love being one of the things that you listen to every week. And with that, please thank Rob for coming because he wants to know that he's doing a great job, which you are, Rob, killing it, absolutely smashing it. And to all our listeners, thank you so much for tuning in with us and we'll see you next week. Bye.